Well, talking about baptism, this is kind of interesting. I'm really not sure where it's going to go because in the past, you know, we've had a tank that's been right there. And so the teaching has gotten everybody, uh, you know, psyched up. And we always had about 20 people that were going in the tank. There's no tank there this morning. So I thought, well... One way of uh, responding would be to do, do another sacrament, and I thought we would celebrate communion together at the end, and that's what we had planned to do. But then uh, the COVID case came along, so that uh, went down the tubes. So I'm not really sure how uh, we're going to end. What I do know is the uh, reflecting on this, uh, I mean, I've taught on this in different theology classes that I did over the years, but... Uh, I've never, uh, you know, spoken in a setting like this, you know, on baptism. And so it really caused me to reflect back, you know, on the beginning, spiritual beginnings for my life. And I'm an old man now, at the end of my life. Uh, But I was thinking back to when I was a young man, at the beginning of my life, and how desperate and how lost I was. Uh, and Jesus just uh, came into that one-bedroom apartment and, and met me in such a profound way, showed his love to me. And as I thought about this uh, ritual that I was involved in very soon after I came to the Lord, uh, it just made me reflect again on how incredibly uh, thankful I am you know, that Jesus got a hold of my life. Uh, I, I can't imagine us, and I know that so many of us would make that as a testimony, where would we be without him? I don't want to know. Uh, all I know is how confused and how lost I was, you know, immersed in the... Uh, philosophy and immersing myself in the writings of Satra and Camus and uh, Jaspers and Heidegger and you know just all of that just uh, creating a confused mess in my mind uh, and, and for God just to reach down and to give me clarity and to make his love so real to me was very powerful. Well, we're talking about uh, baptism, and there's been some controversy over the years about this in the same way that people look a little bit differently at communion, and sometimes people look a little bit different at baptism. And so I thought of this little uh, story that I had in my files that I thought I'd read as a kickoff. I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. I immediately ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he asked. I said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious or an atheist? I'm religious. Me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? I'm Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? I'm Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? I'm a Baptist. 
Wow, me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? I'm Baptist Church of God. Incredible, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Reformed Baptist Church of God? I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. To which I replied, die, heretic scum, and pushed him off the bridge. Because there's so much truth in it. But what about this thing called baptism? You can put up the first slide there. I'm already saved. Why be baptized? And I do hope that uh, the goal at the uh, end of this uh, teaching, uh, that if there's some of you here that haven't been water baptized yet, there's going to be something that stirs in your heart that says, wow, as soon as I get home, uh, to my local church, you know, I want to ask my pastor to set up a time where I could be water baptized. Uh, I hope that that occurs for those of you that haven't had this experience. Uh, for those who, of you who have had this experience, uh, I pray that it will cause you to reflect back uh, really on the significance of that experience and what it meant uh, for you uh, I'd like to begin with contrasting baptism with the Lord's Supper. Uh, talk about the Lord's Supper for a minute because people have different perspectives on communion and, and what is actually going on when we come to the Lord's table. The Roman Catholic perspective is what's called transubstantiation, which uh, is the belief that the... Uh, the priest, and he is the one that has the authority to do this, that when he performs the uh, priestly blessing uh, over the Lord's table, uh, that the uh, bread and the wine are literally transformed into a different substance. Uh, they're transfer transformed literally uh, into the very flesh of Jesus and the very blood of of Jesus in the cup. Uh, this isn't symbolic in the minds of Roman Catholics. This is something they believe that, that literally happens. Uh, it still appears to be uh, bread and it still appears to be wine uh, or juice, uh, but in fact, it's been transformed into an entirely different substance. Uh, why, uh, until uh, the late 60s, uh, after Vatican II, uh, if you attended a Roman Catholic Mass, uh, the priests would actually place the wafer, you know, you know under your tongue, uh, would hold the cup uh, for you. Uh, you really couldn't be trusted to have the, uh, the literal body of Christ, you know, in your hand. You know, what would happen if a piece of that, that wafer or the piece of that bread, you know, fell to the carpet and you didn't see it? And, and, theolo and certain theologians have, have kind of anguished over this, you know. And then a mouse came along later and ate it. 
a mouse would be eating a part of the body of Christ. Unthinkable. You know, so the priest you know, puts the wafer in your mouth, holds the cup. The Reformed perspective, particularly in the view that uh, flowed out of John Calvin in Geneva, talked about uh, spiritual presence. When you come to the Lord's table, uh, God is present, and he's always present, he is always here, but he's present uh, in a special way. Uh, Martin Luther uh, took it a little step further. He was somewhere between that uh, spiritual presence and transubstantiation. Uh, actually, uh, I really, in my own belief, follow Luther's view uh, on the whole area of communion. He talks about consubstantiation, where the substance uh, of the bread and the wine now coexist you know, with the blood and the body, you know, of Christ. The illustration that uh, Luther used uh, was that you can take a piece of metal and you can insert it into a blazing hot fire uh, and it can turn, you know, red hot, you know, white hot. Uh, the, the, the metal is infused with power but doesn't change into something else. When you pull it back out of the fire, it's still metal, it'll cool down, it'll still be the same substance. Uh, to me, that's, uh, that's what I've experienced, you know, in communion. Uh, the, uh, the presence of the Lord in such a way where uh, I at times have felt uh, a, a, an impartation of his spirit in a special way. Uh, it's not that the, the bread and the wine are, are turned into something else, uh, but there's an impartation to me. Uh, even uh, the fire of God doing something in my heart in the area of purification. And then there's the Baptist view of communion, which is that it's a memorial. Uh, the Eucharistic elements are purely symbolic. Uh, they represent the body and the blood of Christ. This is something that we do to remember him. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and so as we look at the, this, we now come to this issue of baptism uh, and so we say, what is baptism? Is baptism just simply uh, something that we, we do as a, a, a memorial? Uh, or is there something involved in this ritual, in this thing that Jesus talks about, uh, that takes us deeper than just simply uh, something that's symbolic? And so I'd like to... Uh, answer that question, I'm already saved, why be baptized, and say there's really to me three good reasons, you know, why everybody should be baptized. And the first is, it's giving obedience to Christ. We really don't have to go any further than this. <laughs> why are you baptized? Jesus asked us to be baptized. If he asked me to do something, we talked about lordship last night, uh, I'm going to do it because he's asked me to do it. Uh, do I understand fully? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Uh, it doesn't matter, but I do understand that he's asked me to do it. The famous verse that we quote in connection with our evangelism, Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I say, well, that's clear enough. Uh, the disciples have this uh, commission. You know, you're going to go. You're going to preach the gospel. And you're going to preach the gospel, and people are going to respond to it. And when they respond to it, they experience the salvation that you've experienced. And I want them to be baptized, you know, all nations of the world. So we see the aspect of God including all people groups, you know, in this baptism and sharing in the gospel, gospel and all that that means. We come over to Acts chapter 2, and Peter has preached this short sermon, and after he's preached it, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter stands up with the other 11, you know, and he's... Uh, uh, he, he's preaching his heart out. Finally, uh, you know, says this Jesus whom you crucified, and it says that their their conscience was pierced. You know, they 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 felt like uh, you know what what can we do? We've got to respond to this in some way. Yeah, how how do you respond to this message? And so Peter replied, "Each of you must repent of your sins." And turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That's always fascinated me, that phrase. Uh, I wish that we could have had all those other words that he spoke. He preached for a long time, uh, but it's all summarized in him saying, uh, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now that verse actually gives birth to one of the controversies that has existed uh, because Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus says, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are portions of the body of Christ that believe if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus only, that is when the minister puts you under the water it said, I baptize you in the name of Jesus uh, because he didn't say the Father and the Spirit. Your baptism really wasn't valid. Uh, there's other people that uh, you know, see it the other way, uh, that Peter has, has brought a, a sharper focus to this whole issue of baptism. Uh, I can remember uh, I was baptized uh, shortly uh, within maybe like uh, five weeks uh, after I gave my life to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was just so crazy in love with Jesus uh, that I was obnoxious. You know, that kind of new Christian that uh, is, is really, you know, 
you want to be around them and you don't want to be around them, that kind of thing. And, and so I was, just, I was tagging around, following my pastor, asking him, you know, all kinds of questions. And uh, you say there's never a dumb question. Well, you know, sometimes I was asking spiritual questions like, you know, you know why, why did God create air? I mean, it didn't really say that, you know, but I, I just I was just giving him. He was so patient with me, you know, so kind to me. And uh, when I was staying there in the tank, he told this little story, you know, about this, uh, this young man that had come into the church and had been, uh, uh, you know, experienced salvation and, and just kind of had gotten under everybody's skin. And so the, uh, the time came for his baptism. And now he's standing in heaven. And St. Peter is saying, wow, you're up here kind of early, aren't you? What happened? And the young man says, well, I don't know. I was standing in the baptismal tank, and the pastor baptized me in the name of the Father and brought me up, baptized me in the name of the Son and brought me up, and then baptized me in the name of the Holy Spirit. And come to think of it, I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> Uh, and I'm standing there in the tank now, and he's going to baptize me, and I'm thinking, uh, oh, boy, uh, I think I can force, my, say, force myself above the water if I have to. But what's the deal with this? Personally, uh, I have a very simple answer to this. You can uh, check it out with uh, the great theologians on the campus. people like Mr. Case and Dr. Ramon and Dr. Sanders. But personally, the, the next slide, the name of Jesus, uh, I personally believe that Peter just had heard what the Lord had taught him and accepted it. Because in John 14, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming, he says, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and in me, and I am in you. Now, how do you explain that? Uh, I'm in the Father. Uh, you are in Christ. You know, I am in you, which means I'm in the Father. You know, and the Father is in me, but Jesus is in me. Uh, how do you understand all of that? Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. I think that Peter just uh, really accepted this verbatim uh, as, as the Holy Spirit made it real to him after uh, the Holy Spirit falls. And the reality is if you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you know, you're baptized, you know, as it were, uh, by Father and Holy Spirit. Uh, they're, they're, it's the triune God that we're talking about. So personally, I feel that uh, if you've been baptized uh, in the name of Jesus, you don't have to go back and do it again and have somebody say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, there's, a, there's a unity amongst the Godhead where as far as Jesus was concerned, uh, if you're in one, you're in the other one as well because they are in each other and in you. The second dimension of baptism, why we get baptized, 
is that I believe that we receive a deeper revelation of the Father's love and affirmation in our personal life. Jesus, when he is again speaking, uh, actually, uh, there's a typo. I did that. I don't know how, how, I, uh, how I missed that. But uh, I need a Bible. Somebody give me a Bible. That's just simply repeating the other. Uh, uh, thank you. All right. In Jesus' name, no COVID on the Bible. All right, this is the verse that should be up there. It's good. It's Saturday morning. We're relaxed. Uh, we come to uh, Matthew chapter 3. We'll look at it here. Around verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee uh, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for that is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, this is actually the verse that should be up there, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a, a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, as so I look at that, uh, it seems to me uh, that if uh, Jesus in his humanity, needed that kind of affirmation from the Father. And if Jesus in his humanity came up out of the waters of baptism and now begins to see the heavens opened, uh, I personally look back and believe that something like that happened for me, not quite as dramatic. I didn't hear an audible voice from heaven, you know, saying, you know, you know, this is Stacy, my son, you know, in whom I am well pleased. But I do believe as you go into the waters of baptism and you do come out of them, that spiritually you're able to see more deeply into the area of the unseen. Uh, you're able to see into the heavenly realm. You're able to see uh, the, the certain principles from the Word of God that become you know, more clear. Uh, there's a sense because you have been obedient and have moved uh, you know, into these waters, uh, spiritually something begins to happen in your life. And the, one of the most significant things that happens is you begin to hear in your own heart the Holy Spirit communicating to you. You are the beloved son. You are the beloved daughter. God is not angry with you. When you come up out of the water of baptism, you should be aware of that, if nothing else. God is not angry with you. 
He's well pleased with you. His affirmation is on you. He loves you. You need to hear him calling your name, saying how special you are to him. I believe that that's contained in the aspect of baptism as well. Receiving a deeper revelation of the Father's love and a deeper affirmation in our own personal lives. And then the third dimension of why I believe it's important to be baptized is that it provides a powerful release of freedom into our new life, our new life of purity as his son or daughter. This passage in Romans 6 is is so incredible. And I really didn't uh, see some of this until later on after I had been baptized and reflecting back on it. But Paul begins with this question, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great uh, Welch preacher uh, who preached for, I think, about 10 years on the book of Romans in a Friday night uh, session or service uh, in, uh, I'm not sure what church it was at, but uh, all of his, his sermons got put into books eventually. Uh, that whole series on Romans still is just an incredible series of commentaries if you ever want to really get into it. But uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones understood the grace of God uh, and really imparted to me an understanding. He made this statement one time, if you don't preach the grace of God in such a way where people feel, you know what, it really doesn't make any difference what I do because I'm going to be forgiven anyway. He says, if you haven't preached the grace of God in a way that makes people think that, then you really haven't understood the grace of God, because that's the reality. We have the, uh, the three-strike mentality. You know, we're saved now, and we're up the bat, and the pitch comes across, you know, and uh, strike one. And I say, well, I want to get on base. I want to hit a home run. I want to do something. Second pitch comes across. I swing and I miss. Strike two. I'm saying, I've, I've got to get on base. I've got to get a hit. And now the ball comes to me again. And I miss it again. And the umpire says, strike, and you're out. Gives the thumb sign behind the plate. You know, you're out. You, you, you go back into the dugout. Well, we really think that's the way that it is in our Christian life. You know, God's willing to let you mess up, you know, one time. And maybe even uh, he's willing to let you mess up a second time. But let's get real. You know, there's going to come a time where God's going to say, you know, out of here. You know, you've messed up one too many times. You know, Paul so preached the grace of God that he realized, hey, you know what? 
uh, people realize that as, as long as you stay in the batter's box, you can keep swinging and swinging and swinging until you get a hit. That's what the grace of God is all about. But now he's reflecting on the other side of it and saying, but I, I, I don't want you to use that as an excuse to keep on sinning. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? We joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Paul is saying, when you go down into that water of baptism, you actually go into a grave. And the person that lived before is, is now in the grave. The, you know, the Stacy Klein that uh, did all that stuff in high school, that... Uh, in my right mind, still today, I would wish I could go back and do some things over again. Uh, but uh, I didn't do things in a way that honored God. I didn't know God. But when I was baptized, I went into a grave. And when the minister brought me up out of that, uh, it was like I was coming forth from that grave as a brand new man. I want to tell you a a story, and it's, I, I almost, I've struggled with whether I should even tell you this or not, because it can almost sound a little bit uh, calloused in the sense of uh, not having empathy for people who have been hurt or wronged. I hope that all of you who have sat under my ministry know the heart that I have for hurting people, uh, people that have experienced uh, painful things in their lives, and so I'm not trying to minimize that. But this story really illustrates, I believe, the real power of baptism. It was a friend of mine. He ended up uh, getting into a uh, maximum security prison as a chaplain. He received a lot of clearance. He was actually able to start a Bible study. Uh, he led uh, some prisoners to the Lord. Uh, he was uh, actually forming a, a little mini church, actually, in this prison. They actually let him do a water baptism. And he was working and discipling with this one man. I think he was in his late 20s. That was in prison because he had murdered two people. And he kept coming to the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I, I, I just cannot get past the guilt of this. He said, I, I, uh, not like 
some prisoners say, hey, I'm here and I didn't do anything. He said, I, I did it. I took those two lives. I murdered two people. I don't know how to get past that. I understand that uh, Jesus has come to me, but uh, uh, I, I don't understand how I can ever deal with this guilt of the reality of killing those two people. And my friend said, it just came to him as he responded to this man. He said, uh, I led you to the Lord. Did I not? And he said, yes, pastor, you did. And he said, we had a baptism, and I put you into the, uh, the waters of baptism. Did I not? And he said, yes, pastor, you did. And he said, the teaching that I gave before I did that, I said, when you go into the waters of baptism, you are going into a grave, and you are rising to walk in newness of life. He said, yes, pastor, I remember and my friend said this to him. I want to tell you the word of the Lord right now. He said, the man who committed those murders is as dead as the people that he murdered. The man who committed those murders is as dead as the people that he murdered. He said, the man burst into tears and said, I see it. I get it. I understand it. The person who had committed those crimes wasn't alive anymore. Now, of course, he's serving his sentence. Uh, there's justice. We understand all of that. But my friend understood theologically what Romans chapter eight or Romans chapter six is talking about, which brings us to Romans chapter eight and verses one and two. And this is the phrase that came to me to leave you with as we conclude this teaching this morning. Don't be a grave robber. We're always appalled when we hear that. Somebody who, who digs up a grave or even people that are working at a cemetery and after the funeral, before they actually lower the casket into the ground, they open the casket and they look for jewelry or different things of value to take out of the grave uh, because who's going to know, who's going to see. Uh, that's a terrible thing when we think of it. Uh, I'm saying spiritually, don't be a grave robber. When you went into the waters of baptism, uh, the person that you used to be died in those waters. And you have risen to walk in newness of life. So Paul says, now there is no condemnation. How can there be condemnation on the person who's walking in resurrection life? And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Coming out of the waters of baptism, we now are free to move uh, in, in our own uh, lives of purity in such a way where we have a power to say no to things. The power of the sin has been broken. And the person who committed those horrible things before they came to Christ is now as dead 
and uh, my wife really communicated that to me when we had our talk one time about uh, the purity of her past and the lack of purity of mine. And I wasn't even sure whether she was going to marry me or not, but she looked back at me after we had that talk and she said, the man that you're talking about isn't alive anymore. That man is in the grave. I'm talking to a new man now, a new man in Christ. Well, that's uh, the significance, you know, of baptism. And so I pray that you'd, uh, you consider that, and especially as we begin to move towards what, what Dr. A is going to share with us tonight uh, in the area of breaking bondages, uh, the reason that we can break bondages is that the uh, power of the sin has been broken when we went into the grave and experienced death that we might rise to walk in resurrection life with him. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how to uh, draw this to a close. We're going to certainly... Uh, take a break at uh, 10, but maybe we can just uh, spend a few minutes personally with the Lord. Uh, let the Lord uh, speak to your heart about some of these things. Let him speak some affirmation to you. Lord, I pray that you'll begin to speak that to some of my friends now. That they'll begin to hear their name and hear the Father say, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you. You come out of the grave to walk in the newness of life in Christ. I am well pleased with you. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have reached back in to that grave. And at times have tried to pull some of that into our new life. Help us to see that the power of sin has been broken and that we are free to live in a different way. Not saying that we're going to be perfect. We will always need your grace. We will continue to have to come and say, Father, forgive us. But as John so says to us so clearly, that if we repent, not only is he faithful and just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you in this newness of life today, at this moment, there is no condemnation. There will never be any condemnation. When we move into the heavenlies, when you call us home, 
We're not going to have to look at some big screen and see all of our sins come up on that screen and really relive the person that we were that has all been erased. And you see us now in Christ as your son and your daughter. Come and minister to my friends in a special way now, I ask, as we spend a few moments in your presence.